podcast number 35, an analysis, You Need to Calm Down, by Taylor Swift and Joel Little. As mentioned in earlier podcasts, through the study of form and analysis, we hope to discover the underlying techniques used to construct memorable songs. Taylor Swift is one of the most important, talented, influential, and successful songwriters of all times. Her ability to create music that relates, inspires, and emotionally connects with her audience is truly amazing. In our analysis, we seek to understand her craftsmanship and techniques she employs in her works. First, let's look at the overall architecture. You Need to Calm Down is in the key of D major and 4-4 time. The order of sections, introduction, verse 1, pre-chorus 1, chorus, verse 2, pre-chorus 2, chorus, bridge, and then chorus. This order of sections is one that is commonly used by today's songwriters. Of course, alterations are common as to the number of repetitions of each section. For example, there might be two verses in a row rather than one, or no pre-chorus. Usually, this is influenced by the lyrics. Now, let's work our way deeper and deeper into the construction of the song. In order not to break any copyright laws, please follow along on the original recording. I will play some examples. The introduction. The introduction is dominated by the bass line, outlining and implying a D major chord and a G major chord. The root note D is heard three times, introduced by the fifth of the chord, the A. Then we have the same process with the G chord. The D now becomes the fifth of the G chord, and we have D, G, G, G. The root and fifth of any chord is usually the main notes used by bass players. The most important thing here is the rhythm, bass and drum. This ostinato, a reoccurring pattern, permeates and connects the various sections and, in fact, the whole work. And, as we shall see, influences the melody. In fact, in most songs, the interplay of the bass line and the bass pedal of the drummer is the pulse of any song. The unifying factor that holds everything together. Listen to any Michael Jackson or Rolling Stone song to see my point. If you ever work with a drummer, no matter how great they are or the set they're using, if that bass drum pedal breaks, you might as well go home, because it's all over. The pattern of two measures of D chord and two measures of G chord, along with the bass line, is throughout the whole song, except for a very, very slight variation. As I have mentioned in previous podcasts, this is not for simplicity. This is to hypnotize the listener through the use of reoccurring patterns. Verse 1. The opening verse is eight measures long, which is fairly standard. There are exceptions, of course. If you look at some of the Beatles songs or Pink Floyd, sometimes the measures might be uneven, such as seven, as in the song yesterday. As is often the case, the introduction is continued, now becoming the background of the verse. The same harmony is used, two bars of D and two measures of G implied through the bass line, then repeated exactly. 
What is interesting, the harmony is grouped into even numbers, 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2, while the melodic phrases are grouped 3 plus 3. Let's look at each phrase individually. Phrase 1, the lyrics are, You are somebody that I don't know. This first phrase is comprised of the first and the third note of the D major chord, D and F sharp. Let's listen to that. In podcast number 21, I examined the role of chord and non-chord tones. Basically, chord tones are strength and calm, while non-chord tones create various shades of light and dark. So the first phrase is composed of two notes with the 16th note repetitions to accommodate the lyrics. Let's listen to the basic line without the repeating 16th notes. Taylor starts right on the first beat. The 16th notes and 8th note rhythm creates urgency. As I said, the chord tones might be calm, but the 16th notes add the tension and emotion. Now the second phrase, but you're taking shots at me like it's Patron, and I'm just like damn. Now this phrase is exactly, almost exactly the same as the first phrase with two important differences. Instead of starting on the first beat, we start with two pickup notes, two A's, leading to the 16th notes taking shots at. The A leading to the D mimics the bass line. I know you might say, at this tempo, do we hear that? But yes, you do hear it. Subconsciously, you feel it. It helps add to the continuity and cohesion of the work. I like to use the example of motives in movie music, whereas a certain musical phrase will be associated with a character or an emotion or an event. So every time you hear it, you feel that. For example, of course, in Jaws, when the shark is about to appear, the music signals something is about to happen. Often this might be played way down deep in the orchestra where you don't really hear it, but you sense and feel it. There is one note added, a B, the sixth of the chord on the lyric and, and truly important, at the end of the phrase, two notes are added on the lyric dam, a D to a G, a fifth downward, which we have also heard before in the bass line, in the third measure, at the end of the second measure into the third measure of the bass line, introducing the G, we have D down to G. On the lyric dam, Taylor sings the same notes, sliding off the first note into the second, really expressing the feeling of the lyric. Also, they are eighth notes instead of the sixteenth notes we've been hearing, which adds more emphasis onto this. This two-note cell becomes an important musical gesture, reoccurring in the verse and in the chorus. In all genres of music, repetition of melodic motives or sections, rhythms, and harmonic progressions are vital to the music's ability to affect and relate to the listener. The third phrase of the verse contains the lyrics, is 7 a.m. What I find really interesting is that only two notes are used for these lyrics, and those two notes are the two notes we just heard, the G and the D. Talk about continuity. For the lyrics, it's 7A, 
we hear G and three Ds. The DG of dam now becomes G, D, D, D. And on the letter M, we hear a repetition of the two-note gesture that was used for dam. This interval of the fifth is one of the strongest in all music. In fact, when you hear all the power chords played by guitarists, that's what they are playing, fifths. So what better interval to portray strength, the open sound of the fifth? The end of the second phrase and the third phrase are played against the G bass. The third phrase winds down the intensity of the previous 16th note. There is a three-beat pause in the melody, and then for the second half of the verse, the next four measures, we repeat the melody almost exactly with new lyrics, dividing the verse into two four-bar sections. The second half, the same as the first half. This is very useful for listeners' retention of the melodic line, especially with the amount of lyrics and the speed at which they go by. The pre-chorus number one. The pre-chorus is four measures long, containing two phrases. The first phrase is two measures long, non-stop 16th notes, very intense. It does not pause until the first note of the third measure on the note D. The lyrics are, I ain't trying to mess with your self-expression, but I've learned a lesson that stressing and obsessing about somebody else is no fun. So that's two measures non-stop 16th notes until the very end, one-eighth note and one-quarter note. is besides all the 16th notes it starts with the note E it works its way all the way down to a low F sharp then jumps back up to that E and then ends on the D of the next measure so all that is against the D bass note the implied D chord now I'd like to play for you a reduction that's where I take out all the repeating notes leaving the basic line As I mentioned earlier, the relative color of each note as it is played against the chord has an effect on the listener. So I would like to go through that one more time and call out the name of each note in relation to the D chord. The notes 1, 3, or 5 are chord tones and they will be strong and the other notes will have varying degrees of color. So as we listen, please take into mind the shifting colors. E the ninth, F sharp the third, E the ninth, D the first, the root, C sharp the major seventh, B the sixth, A the fifth, G the fourth, F sharp the third, then we jump all the way up to the ninth again, the E, and then we resolve to the D on the G chord. Did you hear how the ninth, the major seventh, the sixth, the fourth, and remember the second is the same as the major ninth, all have such different colors, some very emotional. Now, 
As I said before, at the speed that we're hearing it, you sense it rather than hear it. On a slow song, you would hear it. So if you were ever writing a song where you want a lot of emotion, you would use a lot of non-chord tones. Also, what happens here is at the very end of the phrase, the last two notes, where Taylor jumps up to the E, the ninth, on the word no, and then resolves down to the D on the lyric fun, that is no accident. That is done for emphasis. Anytime you jump a large interval into a note, you are emphasizing that note. And if you jump into a non-chord tone, as she did here, the ninth, that really makes a statement. Now, the second phrase of the pre-chorus is very interesting for the fact that this is the only time in the song the chord goes to an A bass note, which implies the A chord, which is the five chord in the key of D, and the five chord always pulls to the one chord. It's a very important chord. It's called the dominant. The one chord, the D, is called the tonic. So the dominant pulls to the tonic. It's only for one measure, and the lyrics are, and snakes and stones never broke my bones so. Now, after two measures of almost pure 16th notes, we slow down to 8th notes, and the notes, mostly F-sharp, E, and F-sharp, and then a D, but against the A chord, these notes become the 6th, and the 5th, and the 4th. Now, some very, very important things happen. Here, first of all, the background music stops, which automatically emphasizes this. You know something important is about to happen. So in music, many times when a composer introduces something important, he speeds up to introduce it. Here we have the reverse. The music is slowing down, and actually the background music is stopping. In classical music, they call that rushing to the goal. This is something we see in the music of Beethoven, how his genius many times would do the opposite of what you expect. To introduce something really important, he would almost slow down completely. Here we have Taylor use silence, a new chord, a new harmony, and a reduction of the rhythmic intensity of the 16th notes to introduce now the all-important chorus. At the end of the pre-chorus, the bass line A, which suggests an A chord, the 5 chord in the key of D, now pulls to the 1 chord as we start the chorus. What hits us right away at the beginning is the sudden buildup of the background music and the singers. Everything is intensified. The chorus is eight measures long and similar to the verse in construction, alternating two measures of D and two measures of G. But now we hear the whole chords. We hear everything. Same background, four plus four harmonic background and three plus three melodic phrases. So although it's different, the pattern of construction is the same. At the end of the eight measures, there is a two-bar extension mirroring the introduction, which perfectly returns us back to verse number two. The first phrase is a melodic line moving upward. We hear the lyrics OO five times. The notes outline a D major chord featuring appoggiaturas on the first, second, and fifth note. An appoggiatura is an expressive non-chord tone, one note above the chord tone, and then moving down to that note. Let's listen. I will play it 
I will play it slowly so we can listen to the color of each note. Nine, one, four, three, five, five, one, one, nine, one. So the chord tones were the one, three, and five, and the appoggiaturas were the nine, one, and the four, three. The second phrase, you need to calm down, the title of the song, is almost always used in the chorus of any song. The note choice is interesting in that you need to calm uses A, F-sharp, G, and F-sharp against the D chord. And the lyric down is heard against the G chord with the notes E down to B. These two notes are very important because they recall the gesture we heard in the verse on the lyrics DAM and on M of AM. This is very, very important because not only does it contain the title, this gesture, this phrase will be heard again and again, one of the important motives of the composition. So when we put it together, it will sound like this. And the third phrase, you're being too loud, is practically the same. Repetition and repetition with variation, a must for any good song. Now the next four measures, the second half of the chorus, it repeats the first half. When the first group of OOs was introduced by the lyric so, now we hear this phrase, and I'm just like introducing the return of the OO. As I mentioned, the music of the second half of the chorus is the same. However, some of the words are changed and then one phrase is added. This is important. The lyrics are, step on my gown, you need to calm down. Ending the chorus with the title. Now, on the lyric down, we have that two bar extension which mirrors the introduction. The music cuts out again, going back to the original bass ostinato a perfect turnaround to bring us to the second verse. The second verse is labeled two because it has new lyrics. Also, the pre-chorus is labeled two because it also has new lyrics, which is somewhat unusual because many times the pre-chorus and chorus will have the same lyrics every time they're repeated. Of course, not always, but many times. On the repeats, there is extra harmony by the background singers. Now, the bridge enters. In today's music, the modern bridge is an added section, noticeably different from the previous sections, usually introducing something fresh and new for added color and interest. Podcasts number 8 and number 9 deal with the modern bridge. This bridge is four measures long, featuring the background of the introduction. However, the melody is divided into two sections, using an entirely new melodic rhythm for the first half and for the second half, a reiteration, a recall of the figure, all-important gesture we have heard in the verse and chorus. On the lyrics, and we see you over there on the internet comparing all the girls who are killing it. We hear that most important change. It's the use of 16th note triplets not heard before to convey these words. Taylor sings these intricate measures seamlessly. The second measure is basically the same as the first. Now the next two measures are different. We hear four versions 
of the figure, in other words, the motif that we heard four times in the chorus. In the chorus, we heard it with the lyrics, first the title, you need to calm down, and then you're being too loud, you need to just stop, and like, can you just not? Let's listen to those four right now. So all four are the same, except the second one leaves out one note. And notice how they all end with that drop down that she used on dam. Now, in the bridge, the third and fourth measure, just before the return of the chorus, we hear that figure four more times, a little altered, but really the same thing. On the lyrics, figured you out, we all know now, we all got grounds, you need to calm down. See the symmetry? Four plus four. Many people feel symmetry is vital in music for understanding. Let's listen to those four now. On the last note I just played, right on top of that note, the chorus starts with the O-O. A perfect connection. And then the song finishes with the chorus. And the last lyrics we hear are, you need to calm down. Notice how the chorus does not fade out, but comes to a definite end with the title, and more intensity with the background singers. The songs of Taylor Swift should be a textbook for anyone wishing to be a songwriter. I hope through this analysis I have underscored some of the techniques used to create not only hit songs, but in the construction of any musical work. Some of these techniques are rhythmic and melodic motives, the repetition of these motives exactly or with variation, ostinato patterns, chord and non-chord tone relationships, the order and use of sections, symmetry, and the importance of the bass and drum working together. Earlier, I mentioned the Rolling Stones and Pink Floyd, but even more so today, for the artists use the bass and drum to create unexpected and intricate beats so important. Think of Drake or LMA or the world of hip-hop. In fact, in the future, I am going to make a podcast dealing with creating bass lines and drum beats for those of you who are songwriters and wishing to make your own demos, which now you can do on any computer. The programs are amazing. Years ago, you had to go into a studio, pay for time, hire musicians, or do it yourself. Now, the possibilities are endless and incredible. Look at the beat for $30 Little Nas bought on the internet and then based Old Town Road on. I think that would be a valuable aid for those who maybe are not drummers or bass players, but are composers and would like some ideas on how bass players and drummers think. For now, though, I would like to thank you so much for listening, and I hope it's been helpful. Take care. Joe.